Welcome everyone to Ugly Girls Club, where we talk everything that relates to women in contemporary culture. Last week, we spoke about colorism in our community and skin bleaching, and we had the amazing journalist, Ulebu Motswatwa, um, and she was really great. People loved her. And if you haven't listened to the episode, do check it out. We are available on Spotify, IOWNO FM, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. So do not be shy. Please go back and listen to the previous episodes um, of Ugly Girls Club. Um, because I'm sure as much as I've learned, you will also learn something. So this week on Ugly Girls Club, we are talking, I'm naming this episode HBIC. I'm the token. Um, and if you don't know what HBIC means, it means head bitch in charge um, versus tokenism. Today we have Okanya Kanya Bonani. Hey. Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How are you doing, Kanya? I'm good. I mean, you know, even in these circumstances, you know, this is an opportunity to really like think about everything and put everything into perspective. So, you know, you have to take every blessing for what it is even if you don't feel like it is at the moment but i'm doing good that's good that's good we want you to feel good to be like mentally okay and physically okay how have you been trying to keep busy or not really during this time it depends on my two-year-old nephew most days But um, luckily, you know, I've been um, keeping busy, you know, trying to ensure that obviously with all the things that are going on politically, I try to, you know, explain what's going on in much sort of simpler context and in more detail to um, the people that follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, um, mm-hmm. sort of lies once a week um, just to sort of break things down and um Currently, I'm doing a few interviews with different um, media broadcasters, Newsroom Africa, Power FM. Um, those are the guys that I work with at the moment. So I've been trying to sort of keep abreast with things, but also sort of break things down so that, you know, it helps people understand things and not sort of, you know, amplifies the anxiety of, you know, the, the uncertainty that comes with times like these. And talking about you doing interviews um, with major media broadcasters look at you girl please introduce yourself to the listeners who are you what do you do who is okanya so kanya is everyday people i think that's one of the most important things you'll ever learn about me um i'm by trade a social scientist but i've been doing a lot of political analysis for media broadcasters i've worked for international development banks for non-profit organizations and i've consulted with um a few embassies on cultural diplomacy programs so a lot of my work is not just understanding how to reach people's needs but also be a- being able to facilitate and moderate conversations you know that are not just pertinent to everyday south africans but also making it accessible um i think i find that a lot of people on a day-to-day basis don't really understand the high level things that happen that actually affect their everyday lives so a lot of the work that i do you know and even on twitter i say i'm a purveyor of knowledge is to sort of break down and make things more 
um, meaningful to everyday people and how it is important, not just to them because they have human rights and they're citizens of this space, but also recognizing that they have power and how they can use that power to, you know, create a difference, whether it be in their communities, whether it be in exchanging knowledge, whether it be in, you know, creating their own platforms and creating their own voices. Um, so that's who Kanya is, just to wrap things up cleverly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's super cool. Um, I was thinking, like I said to you, I want to use you for another episode. I really want to profile you. And I think I still want to do it and we will get there. Um, profile what average women doing amazing things. And I think you're one of them. I'm really proud of your journey and how you're growing. It's really amazing to watch. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, because we come from far. We come from, you know, rest days, struggles, <laughs> not sleeping assignments, you know. So it's really lovely to yep. see your peer and a black woman on top of that. Your peer doing so well. Um, so to go into this week's episode, like I said earlier on, we're going to be talking about tokenism what is tokenism how tokenism appears um, in different forms and just for relevance and uh, a literal example of something we've seen progress over years and actually it happened again more like multiple times it happens um, I decided to use the great hip-hop female beefs you know, yeah. so the first one is Lil Kim and Foxy Brown, and the second beef is Nicki Minaj and Cardi B. How much do you know about the beef about Lil Kim and Foxy Brown? To be quite honest, I I always knew there was a beef. I just didn't understand what the beef stew was about. So mm-hmm. I did search and tried to understand the beef and. The problem, I think, with a lot of um, how Americans um, archive and curate, you know, the the great beefs of our time is that they never really pinpoint what um, the real argument is about, right? So essentially, from what we see on the blogs, apparently it was over an outfit, right? Mm -hmm. And a performance. Then it steamrolled to a shooting. Yes. when you look at the ki- the the little Kim Foxy Brown altercation, I honestly think that they completely um, write the history of this wrong because <clears throat> essentially it starts at the release dates of their debut albums. So remember, mm-hmm. 1997 was when we saw both of these artists come into the fore, literally yeah. a week apart in November. I and think also just add. They were best friends when they came into the game. They were best friends. They, um, you know, before even Lil' Kim and Foxy Brown, there was this whole movement of unity amongst black female rappers in response to the aggressive nature. um, Actual hip hop, like male rappers would speak about black women. So there was this whole thing of unity. You know, we all the best MC rappers. So them two were best friends best MC rappers from Brooklyn, you know, Thelma and Louise. So I think that's also very important to highlight in that story. Yeah, no, it's a massive highlight as well that you you can't even step over, but seemingly the blogs completely forget to even tell you about 
that kind of detail. Mm. I mean, for me, one of the things that grates me about um, that beef is the level to which um, not even just the labels, the people around them created this kind of competition between these two artists. Yes. And not just the competition, but the comparison, which again is the major link between Little Kim and Foxy Brown, and then 20 good years later, a Nikki and a Cardi B. So for me, tokenism, as I understand it, according to these beefs, particularly with Foxy Brown and Little Kim, is around this issue of not just comparison or competition, antagonizing each other to the point where paranoia leads to completely unprecedented events to prove that you are the alpha female. And sociologists would tell you that obviously when you have a feud this big, you know, it it basically creates sides. Nobody wins in a family feud. As much yes. as you said it, I'm pretty sure Beyonce was the person to have made a quote of it. Okay. But we'll deal with copyright people later. I think that what we I think what I think what labels and I did with that with that level of competition, that level of comparison, that antagonism that led to the shooting. Honestly, it's as if they were trying to recreate Park and Biggie. Yes. Okay, Tanya. Okay, okay. Let's unpack this, um, what you've just said. Um, let's unpack it because you spoke about the blogs, the blogs, how the blogs played an influence in this beef, right? So when you speak about blogs, blogs are part of, and even mainstream media is part of pop culture. You know, um, these things live within the space of what's in, what's the latest, and what's going on. And for the, the average listener, like myself, the layman, um, how would you describe populist culture? Is that, is that a thing? Popular culture, sorry. Popular culture, my list. Yes. I think popular culture, more than anything else, if we're going to get academic and technical, is really what is influencing one group to act in a specific way? So we always have this gripe against influencers, right? Mm. So for example, um, somebody being able to create, you know, different pieces of content, whether it be, regardless of what the medium is, whether it's written, whether it's audiovisual, whether it's um, live, um, whether it's art, etc., that people can really relate to, but not only relate to, they want to emulate, they want to become this. So as much as yes, there are dangers to popular culture when you emulate something that isn't real, right? Popular culture becomes very important because it gives us social norms in some instances. What is in, what is out? Okay, you can wear those bell bottoms until winter, but after that, it's a wrap, you know? Um, think about how Meg the Stallion was trying to convert Hot Girl Summer into like Hot Girl Autumn, Hot Girl Fall, Hot Girl Winter. And trying to sort of use, you know, what was the summer anthem into mm. to sort of translate it from sexuality and fun and femininity to you still need to get your life together. You still need to make sure you get those grades right. You still need to make sure you're independent. So how you message, you know, how you use your influence, your power, your platform to ensure that... Um, the things that you sort of set out as good and bad, those social norms are followed, not just by your audience, but you're trying to influence more 
people to come and follow you um whether it be on social media whether it be in business or in the workplace whether it be um you know in churches there's a lot of popular culture that's being followed there are trends that are you know being set around you know not just what is um musically um, um, appeasing whether or what kind of like sermon style that you like are you a td jakes fan are you a um, steve furchick fan are you like the there's so many different things that you know all of these institutions sort of um not just embody but are, are influenced by i think in how in how you know they align their values right and mm. remember when i pop culture as much as it's about what's cool and what's not it's also it can also be about what um what aligns best to the values that you have to the aesthetic that you want to aspire to remember pop culture is all about ensuring that you reach a certain level right so mm-hmm. social class so um, adds another layer to to popular culture so how do you think hip hop um plays into popular culture how did hip hop come and shake the room when it came to normal secular uh pop culture how did hip hop feed into this so um for historians that sort of outline hip hip hop's entrance into um mainstream society mainstream society in this case being um america it sort of came to shake the table in the 70s right and in the 70s yes. it was around issues of injustice around issues of racism it was trying to fundamentally fight the power <laughs> fight the power is the, is the sort of uh, song song title that comes to mind right but again hip hop for a while allowed itself to be shaped by others in that after it sort of segmented itself between gangster rap and you know political or conscious rap yeah they call it conscious rap mm-hmm. um that's when we start seeing hip hop starting to lose its shape because white people now started to associate hip hop with especially gangster rap with violence with um especially sexual violence violence against women um around being vulgar around mm-hmm. um it being a security risk like there there's a lot of ways in which white supremacy really started to distort the messaging of hip hop particularly gangster rap i think with conscious um rap it stayed in it stayed in its shape and in its form purely because that was the entry point um in the 70s but i think after the 90s especially after the commercialization the industrialization of hip hop as an institution right mm. after hip hop you know starting to win grammys after you saw you know hip hop emerge beyond um uh when biggie and tupac died you start seeing a lot of changes and sort of ideology in sort of how we even represent women how women are seen are visualized are policed in hip hop right the 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 whole narrative around video vixens the whole narrative around um female MCs and rappers after Queen Latifah and um 
Little Kim, Foxy Brown, post 90s, I think quite a lot of hip hop's messaging changed for the consumption of not just their audience, not of a black audience so that we can relate to each other, but for the consumption of a white audience, right? And again, you know, there are consequences to shifting messaging and shifting our understanding of um, our, our, our marketability of hip hop because now we're dealing with issues where hip hop is not necessarily relating, reflecting what black people are going through anymore. There's even, it's, it's even to some extent the same in the local hip hop scene, right? I mean, you've touched on this on how the male gaze, uh, I mean, while well, white supremacy played a role in shifting and changing hip hop, especially once it became commercialized commodified um, by these record labels. How do you think this shift and change of this commercialization and the messaging, um, I like how you said the depiction of women also changed um, during this time in hip hop. It went from wearing the baggiest things. And if you speak directly about Kim and Foxy Brown to pasties, sex cells, hypersexualization, uh, aggressive lyrics. How do you think white supremacy, and especially because these girls were introduced into hip hop through men. So Foxy Brown um, came through Jay-Z, Lil' Kim came through Notorious B.I.G. And I'm sure you've watched the Notorious movie and you've sort of seen how ooh, Notorious and him, right? How yeah. Did these two things, white supremacy, male gaze, uh, influence these girls and how basically the beef started? I think, you know, when you look at both of their careers, um, with Kim, you saw it physically, right? In that she would change her appearance, right? And mm. again, you know, not just physically in terms of the surgeries, but also... Um, colorism right the the bleaching of her skin and all of that particularly in the back half of her career foxy as much as foxy remained consistent i think the beef completely changed her outlook because of the way things were antagonized in terms of communication between these two groups right so i think i think the the, the in terms of the male gaze the fact that biggie and jay both did not intervene, I think not just in the, the, the initial fight, but also intervene in ensuring that it didn't blow up as far as it did, shows you that men see women's bodies as disposable. They're expendable at any point. If somebody goes down, Harris, we made our money type thing. I don't think as much as they both claim to be, you know, HBIC and they would do anything for it, a lot of the actions that took place, you know, if you look at the timeline, a lot of it was policed by these guys. I don't think that there's, I'm not saying that they don't, they didn't have agency to do something different or have gone on another path. I think that the way in which hip hop, especially women being introduced into hip hop by men, it creates sort of a vacuum in which there's um, his way or his standards you know or it, it doesn't work out you yeah. think about how even post um 
Kim and um, Kim and Foxy Brown be getting big. You see, like in the ten years to follow, we don't really talk about many female MCs right. out there, right? Until Nicki pops up, right, out of nowhere, through who? Little Wayne. So yep. again, it it seems like there's a pattern that we're not picking up um, in hip hop, and you know, as much as we can't do a surviving R Kelly in hip hop. I'm pretty sure there's a quite a lot of abuse that isn't being spoken about. A lot of whether it be emotional, whether it be sexual. I mean, I know that with with with, with Notorious B.I.G. and Lil Kim, it wasn't all good, and it even was even going on throughout. You know, Biggie's marriage to to Faith Evans, which creates another level of complexity and drama that we can't go into right now. Mm-hmm. But I think I think how male gaze and um, male gaze factored in with these two is that remember I said in the beginning the internal and the external right mm-hmm. and what, the, what it meant for the product so as much as the product in and of itself shook the table in terms of you weren't expecting a female MC you weren't expecting someone who came with um, as much um, vulgarity and such honesty and such grit, you know, in in the lyricism, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, when you pit two people against each other who have a similar sound, who come from the same neighborhood, who understand, you know, contextually speaking, that this isn't an industry that um, allows for more than one person to be um, at the top at a particular time. It's not like it's the difference between this feud and what male feuds go through is that mm-hmm. with male with male side the male counterpart they can defend um, their status as you know the best rapper in the game and it won't escalate to a point where you know somebody has to die i think they learned that lesson from um, biggie and tupac right they go to jail now but i mean they made their money they can like they have peace with that right but with the girls, it seems like that lesson isn't that level of involvement is not taking place. Um, they, they, it's, it's, it's as if women's bodies are disposable, women's voices are disposable, and that evolving, you know, the narrative of women in hip hop in terms of their lived experiences and um, being seen outside of being a video vixen or a stripper or. I have an example around Nikki and her use of the strippers in Bees in the Trap, but we'll leave that for later. The the sort of strippers are more than party favors. Strippers also have lives. They're single mothers in some cases. Some of them take care of their grandmas, you know, and then, you know, with Cardi using using, um, her lyric in Bodak Yellow on on fixing her teeth, um, getting her mama a new house, etc., etc. Just... Those sort of nuances are things that you don't pick up in a beef, right? Because at the time for, for Foxy and for Kim, um, that wasn't part of the narrative. You weren't allowed to speak on that level because your the the, 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 the the understanding of who women were in the game were to be first ladies, right? That's how male gaze and you know, white supremacy factored in. As much as, you know, Jay-Z and B will never admit this to their graves, they participated and enjoyed and made money off of that instead of allowing women the space to share, you know, their lived experiences to be more than, you know, these used bodies, you know, for sexual fantasies, these used entities, you know, for violence, 
they're not weaponized. Mm, and then what do you think for to go back to popular culture um, and you and you've also touched on it when you spoke about the day-to-day stripper not being used as a, a party favor. What does popular culture mean to the average black woman? Like what's the relationship between the black woman and popular culture? Oh, it's a bad it's a bad relationship. It's a bad relationship at the moment because it feels like we have to fight to not be appropriated, right? We have to fight mm-hmm. to have our sense of being accepted. Because remember, um, 20 years back, right? When a woman wore her hair natural, it wasn't a thing. Today, it's a thing, right? Yes. When women, black women wear their braids, it's normal. But when Kim Kardashian wears braids, when people are wearing cornrows out the side of their necks, <laughs> right? They're, yeah. Everyone's like, oh my God, it's so cool. Oh my God, it's this. Oh my God, it's that. I'm just like, but guys, we've been done. It's been here. Yes, it's been happening. Our bodies, you know, and how people are now using our bodies as the template for what um, health looks like. And 20, 30 years ago, we were being shamed for having these bodies, for embracing our bodies, right? Yes. So, um, it's, it's, I think it's a battlefield, personally, because I don't think there's any space for black women to breathe um, and to be able to show themselves, you know, without being hit left or right. I think that the new generation of hip-hop artists, especially female MCs, um, are starting to navigate and cleverly finding ways to hit back. I think that that is the most important takeaway. And I feel like the more that they grow and the more time that they have in the space and the more that they focus on building each other rather than creating beefs, I think that they'll finally be a platform, a safe space where women can actually, especially black women, can feel like they can be themselves and not feel like you are the prototype for the next pop culture hit or buzzword, you can feel like your everyday practices are being mocked. When it comes to like the relationship between black women and popular culture, like how you say, um, we are used as references rather than realizing we actual humans. I think that's the big thing that we're always fighting for to be seen as an actual human that lives. Um, I was also listening to Amanda Seals and was it Issa, Issa Rae recently. So Issa was saying something very interesting and I, and I, I thought about it um, in terms of what's in right now of um, having black faces, black women in spaces. Um, black women can now say, no, the Afro is in, the braids are in, but for how long do you think this will be the in thing? Because like in hip hop, before already, um, it's always like in cycles, like people yes. are accepted and then there's a period of non-acceptance and then there's a resurgence of um, the acceptance of the black woman again. Oh man, Issa I, I, I made a very, very interesting point, honestly and earnestly. I mean, I think it'll stay on for as long as 
black women who are within those spaces continue to fight as a coalition, right? So mm-hmm. I know that, you know, especially in the workplace, there's a lot of tokenism that takes place there because people want to show that they're diverse, right? Mm-hmm. Recognizing the implications of having all of these new faces in this industry. What does that mean? Not just for their face representation, but also being heard and being recognized and taking yeah. forward, right? So for me, I think that quite a lot of it has to do with everyone who's already in that space has to acknowledge the fact that their role now becomes not just taking the needle forward, but uplifting others in the process. So mm. to me, a lot, of, a lot of that has to do with our own sort of, I feel like we need a retreat for this, like our own unpacking, right? So a lot of blogs, interestingly, whilst I was preparing for this, was saying that like there were sort of two major sort of groupings of MCs in the 90s. So there were obviously your MCs that were the first ladies, unity, you know, that was their strong narrative. There was Kim, actually three. There was Kim and um, Foxy Brown and all these others that came along and they, you know, played up their sexuality. They owned it. They they took it on. Because it was Bill Kim, Foxy, Trina. You know, it was that trailblaze of yeah. owning my body people would say vulgar lyrics you know they took you all the way there <laughs> yes, yes yes and then there was this one anomaly called lauren hill who hit us all behind our heads and was like stop this <laughs> we can all That's, exist here they call her crazy so no, but at the same time, they called Nina Simone crazy and look how far she went. So mm. everybody needs to calm down, okay? The Miseducation of Lauren Hill is still one of the best albums in the last 30 years. You can come yeah. fight me on Twitter for that if you disagree. <laughs> but I think, I think that, you know, this is one of those situations where, honestly, if there was time for a retreat and if American pop culture, you know, was really serious about this, and especially black women, you know, who are in the industry now, who have not just gotten footholds, who are sitting in the space, taking up space, are serious about this. They need to be able to unpack not just representation just so that we can be seen, but representation to ensure that we are heard in all the multiplicity, in all the facets, in all the the, 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 the colors, you know, of the rainbow. I think that it's necessary to also recognize the fact that that we are working towards that and that there's so much more that is available that wasn't available I, there was a pic someone had done a, a thingy they had put up two pictures at the grammys i think the grammys 10 years ago versus the grammys now and it was little nas it was billy Eilish, it was lizzo and there was one other person and i think t- the picture of 10 years ago it was rihanna it was katie perry i think it was avril lavigne and one other person and they're like, do you see the difference? Do you see that this is more than diversity? Do you see that it's more relatable? It's more, you can understand, you can understand how people feel represented now. We can have a fight about the four artists that were in the 2020 picture later, because I know you guys are spicy, but it's that movement that's important. And I think this is where, shout out to Tory Lanes, Quarantine Radio has helped us 
at least realize that we are moving in the right direction. I think Tori needs to like stop the music and actually really focus on this quarantine radio shit. It should get syndicated. Mm. But I think because I think even his platform, the amount of women that have been on his platform compared to any other um podcast or radio like in 2020 has been literally serious. Like I don't think he has said no to anybody. I think he's been very open and has shown I think what your Jay-Zs and them should have done 20 years ago. Just open the space for everyone. Let everyone take up their space. Let everyone grow. Let everybody thrive. And mm. we'll see we'll see what to do later. I don't understand why antagonism was necessary, especially for women. Yeah, and I, you touched on this um tokenism. Could do you mind defining that as well uh, before we move on? So to me Tokenism is simply taking somebody on based on ensuring that you've reached or ticked off a box in your checklist. You're not taking somebody on because they are meeting the criteria, you're not taking somebody on because they are uh, appropriate, you know. A lot of the time, especially in the workplace, you find that people will be taken in because they're trying to fill out a racial or gender um representative quota rather mm. than ensuring that this person in that space not only grows but also gets heard i think when specific practices are not inclusive and and do not have um even the consumers um the consumers um best interest at heart you know i think tokenism somebody was there was there was a huge fight on twitter earlier this week and um coconut curls came out um and had a massive thread out and she was discussing how you know it's interesting how some blacks are some black people on this platform are trying to police blackness right but someone had made a comment about oh some it's so interesting that some of you are now the 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 head girls and the head boys of what blackness is because some of you only realize that you were black when you left your cul-de-sac. Mm. And I was like, wow. <laughs> because blackness does not mean like we all live in a township or you know we're struggling. We No, but oh. I think further than that. It it was for me what shocked me was the fact that in our present day, knowing more often than not that most of our parents how we press in multiracial schools to get us yeah. away from townships are we still on this narrative especially for those people who have claimed that oh i'm from the township i've always lived in the township i'll never turn my back on the township i'm like the fact that you went to a bit university completely undermines your argument entirely if we're talking mm. about social capital alone you must go to fort heck i love yes like if if, that, if that's the reasoning if that's a contextual level of intellectual reasoning that I'm dealing with then you must also go and support former black institutions of higher learning right yes but for me, my biggest thing is that regardless of how you get your start regardless of what your environment is for some of us who landed up in a cul-de-sac we were in townships before we got to the cul-de-sac we got into these bloody schools who perform the institutional racism on us i think people forget the fact that that first two generations of of kids that went black kids that went into these um former model c and private schools 
went through so much mm. institutional racism. It was as good as saying we went through apartheid ourselves. It's just that we couldn't say shit or we'd get expelled. Or our parents are like, don't be anti-white. <laughs> you are there for education and education alone. So for me, this, this, the, the, the commentary that came out of that thread made me think, yeah, if we're still regulating who gets a black card and who doesn't, when are we going to get to a place where we can even talk about the much bigger issues that are that are that are that we're dealing with in this country that are affecting black women and what was said was a woman who actually made that statement so i was just like yeah we're going to fight yeah i mean we all indoctrinated in in different ways i think and i was listening to this other podcast but i feel like this is such a great topic for another one um to this podcast um talking about you were saying people were policing blackness what does blackness even mean like the experience of being black like it's we are forced to believe that it's this hardship hardcore i'm from the hood whereas they took the the greatness away from us you know i think and we we as a people are trying to get our greatness back if i'm making sense i understand completely so um two things one when you were saying um this issue of hardship i i thought again ding 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 head bitch in charge so yes. somebody has to be that one person that gets out of the hood and makes it one not two not five just one it's almost like Le- LeBron James for example when he said he he um I think it was the first episode of the shop where he was explaining how he got out of the hood and how basketball came to him and I was just like my god when are Americans going to let go of this HBIC situation because it's what's stopping us from really embracing and understanding what blackness is and how many narratives of blackness exist without you know breaking each other down or having to backbite or having to prove your blackness right mm. and then the second thing you know around this is that if we embraced every possible narrative of blackness one of the things we stand to gain is basically strengthening our institutions so For us in South Africa, we don't necessarily have that because we have decided to completely turn our backs on great institutions that we created. We were laughing at Fort Hare a couple of minutes ago. I mean, Fort Hare created five African presidents. That ain't a lie. There's just certain things that we need to acknowledge and recognize and be able to endorse institutions we've created. It's the same thing in the US. There is a massive, massive... like backing of black institutions in America but do you hear about it in hip hop no i think the once hip hop got commodified it was there to serve black people i feel like that's why also people like queen latifah decided to go and act rather than stay in hip hop um but to come back to tokenism um yes. and the cardi the nikki and cardi story I don't even know how it started. Do you, do you know how it started? I don't know how it started. It was just like one day, boom, the blogs were like Nikki yeah. and Cardi are beefing. 
No, you know what? I think for me, um, especially from what I've read and how I followed that beef, that was the beef that I followed more intently. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with the blogs in that for a substantive amount of time, Nikki was unopposed, I think, in, how, in, in, in her genre, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that the emergence of Cardi, and I think the comparison again, didn't just create a fallout. I think also once Cardi got number one on the Hot 100, which hadn't been done in, what, 20 years, and then the Grammy got to her. I think with Cardi, Cardi has never wanted to be anyone or to to be anyone else or to be compared to anyone else. And I think the thing that I like about Cardi is that Cardi is, um, is not, she's not the better version of Nikki. I think she's more savvy to... Um, what is happening about her brand daily? Like with Cardi, someone someone in the blog actually actually compared actually made a comparison that was very 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 accurate. And they said that one of the things that they didn't understand about this beef was the fact that Cardi comes with receipts. Cardi never goes on an Instagram live without receipts. She will tell you the truth. She will give you the receipts and the SMSs and everything. She's not she's not afraid to open her phone and say, yeah, this is what happened. Also, with Nikki, I think Nikki enjoys antagonizing people a lot because this is not the first time Nikki has gotten into a feud with another female hip-hop artist. She even got into a feud with Little Kim, to be quite honest. Yep. So... For me, I think with Nikki, as much as yes, the accolades and the numbers speak for themselves, and there wasn't it, this wasn't really an issue. This, as much as it was about antagonism, I think 2018 to 2019 it got heavy because it was no longer just about talk; it was actual action. I think because Cardi, Cardi, not just in the release of her album, but also with Bodak Yellow, um, came with the numbers and came with came came basically hot yep she came in hard and also she had a lot of like she had a lot of things going for her at the same time she had love and hip-hop she had she already had a platform right whereas nikki started from scratch basically with 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 um with young money i think that one of the things we need to remember with this beef is that the character the categorical difference is that nikki hasn't had to fight for anything up until now one and two nikki instead of embracing her fully was rather passive aggressive about it when you think about her verse in motorsport when you think about um other features where she comes after cardi for no apparent reason like you know when when you when someone like comes for you and you didn't send for them <laughs> yeah that's what happened trying to catch smoke right and I think I think it just for me I didn't understand it because it honestly had there had there was no reason for it, things to go to where it was last year at the fashion week. And honestly, again, I, I, I especially after um, Nikki got the BBC Radio One gig, there was no reason for her to use that platform, not just to antagonize Cardi, but to play the victim to you know, marshal her troops to create chaos for absolutely no reason. If you didn't have an album to put out, then use a platform to put other people on. 
who has Nicki Minaj put on since she 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 did double platinum? Who like since Beyonce? Since like at least you can say with Beyonce. Oh no, Chloe and Hailey, Beyonce, Chance the Rapper. Anyone Beyonce touches and says you're a great upcoming artist, like like artist, they blow up three, four, five times in yeah. the space of a year, right? But who's Nikki? Who's Nikki Pran? That's the big question. Mm, and also, do you think um, with this whole only me uh, mentality in mind, and her being the only woman at Young Money, um, how do you think she? Em- embraced embodied the whole idea of it all and it, especially because when Cardi came in it it disrupted her her stable i know it, it disrupted an entire flow i think that nikki is a kind of tokenist that you really you really don't want in society particularly because she's the kind who embraces all of the problematic stereotypes that exist in hip hop today i mean again when she feuded with kim kim wasn't necessarily mad that she was rapping kim was mad that she was literally taking the same marketing campaign and copying pasting i mean mm. think of the surgery think of the way she's changed her body because if you took a picture of um nikki before fame and nikki after fame even that changed like all of like the gimmicks like the reason why kim had a problem with her is that it was very gimmicky there was nothing original like the music was original but in terms of how she played up you know the the what the labels wanted for her i think that it's just she she didn't just absorb it she became it and instead of keeping up with the times and being adaptive she just chose she just felt like it was going to be her and her alone forever which that's not how the world works so i think because our actual conversation was about 2 hours long and i personally believe going through the journey of how we get to tokenism is very important i want to leave this podcast at this point here and then we'll do the rest next week so this will be part 1 of the HBIC tokenism conversation um i think kanya has done such a great job with explaining some of the theories that play into um the conversation that we are talking about today so do look out for next week's episode where we're going to continue talking about tokenism as we've already started we spoke about nikki and the cardi beef and how that somewhat played into tokenism we will also be talking about our own experiences with tokenism so do look out for next week's episode and thank you so much for listening I always appreciate everyone for listening and everyone's feedback. Do not be shy to reach out. So until next time, from me Onyeka, goodbye and thanks again and we'll chat again next week.